0: Decolonization sets to change the order of the world, and as we know, it's therefore an agenda of total disorder.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to the second episode of our podcast, Decolonizing the University. My name is Lien Stergts. I'm a master student in sociology, and I will be this episode's host. This episode is the second part of the episode on the decolonization of the curriculum. And for the segment, we've invited a lecturer of the Faculty of Social and Political Sciences, namely Professor Dr. Koen Boegaert. This is because we, the podcast hosts, are all social and political science students. And in that sense, we are the first ones to be confronted with its colonial roots, as well as the Eurocentrism within it. So um, that's why we went around campus to ask other students about their experiences with colonial knowledge structures in their courses.
2: I'm Ines and I'm a political science major at the University of Ghent. Uh, In the second year of uh, university, we had a course named uh, History of the World. Uh, But the name was totally wrong because we only got um, knowledge of uh, Western politics, namely Europe and America with uh, Korean War and uh, Vietnamese War, but that's all Western politics. Uh, I think only one (laughs) page was about uh, the Egyptian and Greek wars, but again, Greek is again Western. and throughout, this whole book was about the vision of Western politics, but also with a slight undertone of superiority. Um, and the professor never named it. The professor also said that it was a Eurocentric course, but still, she gave the course.
3: My name is Minche. I'm uh, studying a master in sociology, uh, and I'm at the University of Ghent. I think at many moments within our program, we were confronted with these structures. Um, Right now, I'm thinking about a first year course on the history of ideas, uh, political ideas, which was... Even though it criticized itself on being Eurocentric, it was still Eurocentric. Uh, for example, it's focused on the the big revolutions within history, with like the French Revolution. Um, but it did not talk about the Haitian the Revolution or the Russian Revolution, which was which were um, very big milestones within the history of politics. And that was a bit frustrating to not see those uh, revolution within the course. And another course I'm thinking about is um, historical sociology, which uh, talked about the development and history of capitalism, but then it did not focus on aspects of colonialism and imperialism, which are like the reasons that cap- capitalism can still exist today. Um, but it did not talk about that. And that was very frustrating for me to see in that course that there was almost no attention for these aspects.
1: For the second part of the Decolonizing the Curriculum episode, we've invited Professor Dr. koenraad Boegaer to our podcast. Professor Bogert is a lecturer at the Department of Conflict and Development Studies and is a member of the Middle East and North Africa Research Group at Ghent University. He teaches three courses, namely Structure and Conflict in the Global South, Postcolonial Studies, and A History of Globalization. I've actually had the privilege to follow the course Structure and Conflict, um, and it actually has been my favorite course that I've taken ...during my academic career. Welcome, Kun, and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Um, So the concept of this episode is that we'd like to talk about... um, ...talk about and reflect upon your curriculum. Moreover, we'd like to apply the tips and expertise from Dr. Dennis... um, ...on your curriculum or your syllabus... So yeah, let's get into it. Um, So one of the things that we can say, one could argue that the university is the institution par excellence for knowledge production. Um, However, to Dr. Dennis, pedagogy is not just learning, there's also a purpose to maintain certain power structures. So we know that the colonial history of the social sciences and their theories are often ignored in the co- curriculum, even though this colonial system and their power structures are reproduced in that same curriculum. How do you try to defy that in composing your curriculum?
0: Um, that's a good question. Um, actually, I'm, I must start with saying that I've been very lucky, lucky to, to receive the freedom to design my course the way I see fit. Uh, of course, I have to inscribe myself within a certain uh, tradition of the, the department, uh, the, the department of Conflict and Development Studies, and I also tried to um, respect and be true to the mission and the visions of the former one of the former lecturers at our department, namely Professor Reddy Dome, who had a certain vision uh, specifically with this course structure and conflict in the global south um and i try to yeah come up with my own course of course but res- yeah inscribe myself in, into that tr- tradition and, and the way we approach the world and, and more specifically this course is to ask ourselves the question how can we understand the world but from a different region and different locale but always with the idea that we are trying to understand the same world not necessarily a different world so and that asking the question how can you understand the same world but from a different position already obliges you to look into decolonial perspectives uh, and how power had an impact on societies, life histories of people outside of Europe
1: Okay, interesting. I think this ties to the next question or the next proposition that Dr. Dennis gave. Um, she gave the advice to search for more diverse discourses and epistemologies, um, whilst being exp- explicit about your own epistemology and position you're taking while teaching a certain subject. How is this represented in your courses?
0: That's also a very good question. And it's a question I'm struggling with as well. First of all, let me go to the practicalities. Eh? Um, I started teaching Structuring Conflict in the Global South, which is, which is a course in Dutch, uh, also with the intent to have my students, to really motivate my students to read, eh? not just listen to me and, 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 and study my power, PowerPoints, but to get them reading. And therefore I tried, because it's a Dutch course and it's taught to... Uh, second year bachelor's students, I tried to find as many texts as I could possibly find in Dutch, which was actually a very difficult endeavor when you think about uh, the kind of mission I set myself to do, which is trying to understand the same questions, but from a different position in the world or a different locale or different geographies. And then in the beginning, I really struggled to find a decolonial perspective in Dutch, or I had to go to all translations of the 70s the 60s and then I heard my students complaining about the language and the the, the way it was translated and then then of course I tried to add uh, uh, English text along the way and then gradually um, I found there were new more and more there are new translations or uh, books that are being published in Dutch which address these kind of questions so it, it becomes easier but in the beginning I struggled with that practicality. In my English language courses it's easier because I can yeah, draw on a, a huge liter- body of literature um, to assign actually almost every year different texts which talk about similar subjects and, and, and have my students read a, a variety of authors that reflect the kind of uh, questions I want to pose myself and I want to pose to the students uh, so in terms of diversity, especially with, with regard to my English uh, courses, it's not really a problem. The question is, what is diversity and how is it linked to a decolonial perspective? And I, don't, I think those two are not the same. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. Um, in the sense that decolonialism and a decolonial perspective is also very much linked to a political project. Uh, and yes, It's a radical yes. political project, So I think if you would address your curriculum and just add color or different voices, uh, then the the other ethical question you have to pose yourself is how do you approach these voices? What do you do with those voices? Um, Are you putting them next to other voices as equals or are you already setting them in a certain kind of box? This is the post-colonial perspective. Um, therefore, so, so, th- so those are not necessarily only epistemological questions, but also ethical questions. And, and for me, it was very important to really find for myself an entry point and a mission, in the sense that I don't want to be the neutral, objective professor uh, and handing over to my students some perspective out of which they can choose and then follow their gut feeling Uh, which kind of perspective fits to my gut feeling what I want to do is consciously choose for a certain kind of perspective the decolonial perspective and force my students in a way to read those texts to think from those texts and then to struggle with those texts in relation to their own gut feeling what they had learned in the past how they incorporated or internalized a dominant framework in our Eurocentric society and and I want to see what they do with that not necessarily with with the intent that they need to take over what I say happened or what I think is a way to tell history Uh, but they need to learn how to respect those voices and engage with those voices and find their own position with regard to those voices so in my courses I deliberately choose to offer a certain kind of perspective and I tell my students up front um, because it also allows me to go deeper yes if yeah. I treat the postcolonial perspective as just one of the many perspectives yeah then they I, there's not so much I can offer yeah, it's
1: just scratching the surface. Yeah. Or as
0: and, and therefore, sometimes I get this comment, n- not from my, many students, but for some, from some students, oh, this is so uh, biased or this is uh, only a certain kind of perspective and um, uh, it's too radical, whatever. Um, well, I think, no, if you think about it, I'm offering a lot of diversity, especially... Even more so in my English language courses, I offer them a lot of diversity in perspectives. Yes, yes. But they're all somehow related to the, the decolonial perspective or the decolonial approach. Or just this, this, um, this realization that the history of our world is not a separate... It, cannot be, se- it can, cannot be just divided into two histories. You have European history and you have colonial history. You have the history of the motherland and then you have the history of the colonies. yeah. And, 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 and draw like a, a, a border between those two histories. But I want to emphasize the entanglement. This is also one of the main arguments of Gloria Wecker's book, uh, White Innocence, is the fact that we, we constantly see European history as apart from colonial history already makes it very difficult to, to bring those perspectives together. And what I think is super interesting from the decolonial perspective is that colonized subjects or decolonial writers, writers often who lived under colonialism, when they talk about colonialism, they're not just talking about their own colonies. They're talking about Europe as well. They're talking about the world. They talk about oral history and how it's all linked together. And that, I think, is really super interesting and I think it's, it's a challenge for students to be confronted with those perspectives and, 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 and it's a challenge for them to engage with them and do something with them. But I'm not telling them you need to think such or you need to think this and that. I I'm just want to challenge them, yeah. And I always want to make clear that I'm, that I'm positioned, that I, that I take a position and that... There is nothing wrong with taking a position. Um, actually, I would argue that it's more scientific to also show your own positionality and, and how you engage as a researcher, as a lecturer, with the kind of perspectives you offer your students. I'm very, cons- uh, I'm very suspicious towards those lecturers who present themselves as neutral and objective because... To me, it then seems as if they are hiding their own engagements, their own positionalities, their own uh, beliefs and and ideologies. Uh, And I I don't have anything to hide. I mean, and and, and I don't expect my students to agree with me all the time. Uh, But I do expect them to take my perspective serious, because apart from the normative bias, which is inescapable uh, as a social scientist to begin with, but I think it it applies to all science, you have methodologies, you have a deontology, you have uh, all kinds of techniques by which you produce knowledge, and they can be tested, they can be evaluated. So it's not that I'm offering my students very marginal, dark texts. I'm offering them texts who are widely read, Especially when you go outside of yes, Europe. Yes, I agree. And that are really famous and referenced and cited all over, uh, all the time. Aimee mean, César, which was one of the, well, the inspiration sources of Fanon. I think what you take from César, which is super relevant and extremely important also when you think about the, the kind kind of problems and challenges we face today, is that Césaire says really clearly colonial system does not only dehumanize the colonizer it also dehumanizes Uh, not only let me phrase it again so the the, the colonial system does not only dehumanize the colonized subject but also the colonizer so there is a dehumanization on both sides eh? Uh, we dehumanize what we call migrants eh? Um, but actually we're talking about people who are forced Mm -hmm. to migrate so we're talking about people in the first place. But we also ourselves become very inhuman when we leave these people out in the open and let them die yeah. at our borders in yes. the Mediterranean Sea. And what does it do, th- what does it do to us? And, and yes. I think those kind of questions are really important to ask. And, and the kind of perspective I'm trying to offer, like Césaire and Fanon, uh, and in, in my English courses they need to read Césaire as well, um yeah obliges the students or any the reader to think about these questions and these propositions that this author put forward and I think they're really relevant and important.
2: Yes. Again not
0: to say that everybody needs to agree. There needs to be a discussion but the decolonial perspective adds so much to our contemporary discussions that it would be, it would be stupid and actually scientifically uh Ungrounded to ignore. Yeah, so you
1: discussion. talked about these students that sometimes have some grievances um, or yeah, certain opinions on your course. And I think this is very interesting. Well, Overall, I get positive yeah. remarks.
0: So yeah. I'm, 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 that also motivates me to continue what I'm doing and, and to, like I, to also point to my own students that I'm also learning a lot. Yes. Uh, by teaching what I try to teach it's not that I'm an expert only yeah. I mean I'm trying to I be the student as well, well while I'm trying to offer something to my students because that's of course as, as, as a lecturer my duty yeah uh, it's, it's
1: like a discipline that needs to be trained and developed and it's like a muscle you have to sustain it And
0: yeah and I grew a lot yeah. so, throughout the years I started as a young lecturer whose world was also opened by being obliged to not only teach about what I studied and I worked a lot on the North African region and on histories of struggle and, and, and also colonialism. And then of course I, I, I was somehow trained in, in, a, in, a, in a body of literature with regard to colonialism and to, um, world history. But when you start teaching, it's another ball game. Right? So, uh, So, uh, yeah, then then you have to refine your your own perspectives and study really hard in order to be able to...
1: Yeah, so Dr. Dennis also said something regarding students. And she said that decolonization as a topic can often feel quite uncomfortable to certain students. However, she's also said that it's an an unavoidable part of um, the learning process about decolonization. So... You already kind of touched on, uh, upon this, but how do you challenge or stimulate like very practical or concrete ways? How do you challenge or stimulate students to engage in critical thinking, even though it can feel uncomfortable to them?
0: Yeah, that's also a good question. And, and, and it's something I had to l- learn myself as well. Um, the way I presented uh, subjects uh, or topics and the way I often... Might have underestimated how it came across with my students, and and, and how also um, it comes across differently, also related to the positionality of the students. I mean, when you talk about the history of the world, the colonial history, you're talking about a, a violent history, and you talk about the history of violence as well, and and I think, uh, and this is something that I keep on thinking about but I think in order to talk about the history of violence you cannot just ignore the violence mm-hmm. uh, so you have to somehow bring in it to your story and I uh, use quotes that kind of come across really violent uh, or, uh, can come across as violent um, with regard to certain concepts and words that are being used or the way people are pictured and but also I'm using images, film material from documentaries, both historical as recent, as, 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 as very contemporary uh, film fragments, where violence is also featured as, as a central element in the kind of encounters and histories that these people also want to bring and, and tell. And so I cannot ignore the violence, but... Now I'm I'm much more conscious of the fact that I need to warn my students <laughs> <laughs> what I'm talking about and uh, I have to take into account how s- different students deal with it. But when you talk about uncomfortability it can come across sometimes as a bit uncomfortable but in in if if they really try to listen to what I'm trying to say I think the the main message that I want to give them is is, it's not about feeling guilty I mean especially my white students feel guilty a lot when they engage with those authors and read those authors then they find out it's not about feeling guilty but it's about feeling responsible for a history which is not of their own making but they have inherited the structures of that history and there's a super interesting quote by Mm -hmm. Vincent Brown as an American professor at uh, Harvard University who works a lot on the history of slavery. And he, if I can recall it more or less, uh, it's the final quote of a four-series episode on slavery routes. Um, And it it used to be on YouTube, but I think it's uh, already, already disappeared from YouTube. That's why I'm also... Uh, taking everything off YouTube so I can keep on showing <laughs> these uh, these documentaries and these images but what he said is that uh, the history of slavery and hence also the history of colonialism is all of our history so it's the history of everyone and moreover he says it's as a white person you shouldn't see yourself only as the uh, descendant of a slave owner but also as a descendant of an enslaved person Yeah. and as a black person, you should not only see yourself as a descendant of an enslaved person, but also as a descendant of a slave owner, by which he says, we all inherited the structures of a violent global capitalist, racialist and patriarchal system. Mm -hmm. And the question how we deal with that system now, is up to us and all of us, and it's our shared responsibility. And that I think is is something that I also want to give to my students is that, of course, they need to be aware of the kind of privileges they have or the privileged position they have. But there's another very interesting thinker in Belgium, Sibokanabana. Yes, yes. Who always says, yeah, but it's not about taking away those privileges. It's about being aware that everybody else also has the right to enjoy those privileges. And when we talk about the privileges... We, talk about, we often talk about human rights and access to education and access to a proper healthcare, and access to... Housing. Housing. Yes. And that, that. Those are the kind of privileges everybody should enjoy.
1: Yes. So or it's not about
0: feeling guilty. It's about, okay, if I'm enjoying... Or if I don't have a lot of difficulties finding a home yes. or having access to education, how can I create a world that everybody has?
1: Or even like basic citizenship.
0: Right, like These things, yeah. and in order to address those problems you have to name them as well so colorblindness doesn't take us anywhere yeah. you need to name the problems and you need to show how racialized contemporary problems are how gendered contemporary problems are and how class-oriented or class-based contemporary problems
3: are
1: yeah, I agree that you first have to recognize the things and point out the structures before you can actually actively try to reshape them or try to decolonize them, I guess.
0: And also, I mean, when 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 it comes to finding or taking up the responsibility, I don't, and I say that to my students, I don't, I don't have the ability to offer you solutions. That's up to you. I don't, I don't think I'm in, I'm, I'm in the right place to say how the world should be organized. But what I can do is show them how the world was organized and how it was structured and how power came into play. And what they do with that history is their own responsibility. And then it's up to them. And they can do whatever they want with it.
1: So then, obviously you say, like this is what I give them and what they take from it or what they do with it is their own choice. But then what do you hope your curriculum can bring about?
0: I hope we can, we can create a space where students start to understand the, the moment we're in, um, the crisis they're living, because uh, this was also like an epiphany to me. Uh, last, last, last year when I uh, taught Structure and co- Conflict and I was talking to my students the last lecture and I was saying, yeah, I actually grew up in a period, I grew up in the 90s, in a period where we had the luxury, as white people, not to be aware of the fact that we, the world was in crisis. We, mm. we really grew up thinking that every, everything would actually only become better. Yes. Uh, and I, I realized that my students today um, only knew crisis. Mm-hmm. And it started in 2008, when they were still very young. Yes. I'm also, Myself, I'm a student product of 2001, when, when the whole... New world orders actually already started to collapse with the 9/11 attacks, Uh, and then my students they knew they maybe have a a vague recollection of 2008, but then there was 2011, the Arab Arab revolutions, and then you had 2012, the Greek crisis, 2014, the emergence of Daesh, Islamic State, 2015, the attacks in Brussels, and then up to 2019 again this. Global uprising, yes. protests all over the world, uh, everywhere. The world is in flames again, and then suddenly, there's 2020, the pandemic. Everything yes. collapses, but that's only it was only temporary, and now it's again uh, exploding in a way. And and so students grew up, oh, are growing up in a time of crisis, and I think it's my duty to provide them with the tools and. Um, and the rich knowledge that has been produced... I'm not producing them knowledge. I'm no. offering a yes. lot of knowledge that has been already produced that gives them the insight to and the tools to understand our world and to, to be able to do something with the world uh, beyond the common sense uh, and, and the, 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 the hegemonic frameworks who are actually also in a way responsible for the deadlock we're in because mm-hmm. the hegemonic narrative the consensus is precisely what, ha- what is being questioned today so how can the answer come out of the, the way we explain the world um, without having actually to explain the power inequalities Yeah. and what I'm trying to explain or offer my students is an insight in the power inequalities in order for them to be able to see a future Instead of uncomfortness un, un, un or un, this this feeling of uncomfortability, I see a lot of hope even especially also among my white students. Uh, they 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 it's like and, and, and I like it when I see that they also absorb it and then they, they find answers in that literature and they find answer in the answers in that perspective and actually what I often see is that their enthusiasm grows and, and their interest is 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 is, is, is in, ignited or, or in, yes they, yeah so and they start seeing different potential futures
1: yes I think and, and I and a way mean, out of the
0: deadlock we're in yeah <laughs> and if if I can only provide that and then I'm already super happy I mean that that's more that than I can dream of as I'm only one Part small part yeah. in a in a bigger structure, and which is through the university, and the university ha- has a reputation of actually reproducing power uh, inequalities and in power certain power structures. But at least I think, and this is again what I'm very grateful for, I'm offered a space where I can even contradict uh,
1: your employer.
0: Yeah. And, and, and also, but uh, also, I, I must say that, for example, the, um, the university now provides the space for s- lecturers to, to, to do what they think is right.
1: Yes. So if you reflect on your own curriculum from mm. either course, um, what are the weaknesses of your current curricula?
0: But uh, the overcapacity, uh, that's uh, something I'm really struggling with. And another personal conviction of mine is that I don't like to grade students. Uh, I think grading is so uh, overrated. (laughs) And I would really like to think about how can I design courses that are not so much focused on, okay, what is going to be my grade and how mm-hmm. important it is for me to have this individual grade, but how can we set aside gradings and numbers and just think about, okay, what, what, what do we want to learn and what yeah. can we learn together and, and how can I design my courses more as a collective effort also. Um, I know I have my responsibility as a teacher uh, and a lecturer to... And i'm paid for that as well to build an expertise and to offer it to my students but last year with uh, the postcolonial course i uh, gave my students a lot of freedom to write about issues that they thought were important with regard to this uh, issue of race and why race still mattered and i learned so much from them and, and i even contacted recently a student asking her can i cite you in your <laughs> assignment in something i'm writing at the moment because I th- I, it's, it was really fun to read those. And I, and, and I really want to be open to the fact that I, I, I can also learn a lot from my students. They come with their own perspectives. And often they come from different backgrounds and different positionalities. And so it's really
1: so then what interesting
0: are to discuss these issues with them. Yeah. But so I need the space to be able to discuss. If you design a course with 100 students and you want to get them together in small groups and, and discuss, yeah, how do you do it? so
1: that would actually be a barrier to further decolonization that you maybe do not have enough space I would
0: yeah and i would say a barrier to knowledge transfer and knowledge production yeah. as such because how can you expect that students appropriate all the necessary skills not just the absorption of knowledge but also the skills to to uh, present knowledge to make knowledge of their own uh, if you only have class groups of 100 plus students and so do you have and i don't have lesson. my my assist i don't i i draw on stu- some of my pc students to yeah. help me but i cannot ask a lot from them because yeah. they have their own research to yeah, do of course and, and we don't have the the, the capacity yeah. or the staff to provide the kind of education that they deserve yeah, I, mean, of course. I mean still we're still in a public university we have a public mission and I think it's our duty to provide our students with the best possible education. And So
1: apart from then capacity, do you have other barriers to further decolonize?
0: Other, <coughs> I, I probably have and, um, and I think some of them I'm even blind to. I mean, I, I don't mm-hmm. even see myself yet. So I, yes. I think I should always be open for the fact that I see I can still learn a lot myself and I that's also why I don't call like to call myself an expert yeah when I think about decolonization I see myself as a student yes of many of these great thinkers like a François or an Amy César or Angela Davis or uh, Michel Rolfe Trujillo the famous mm-hmm. Haitian uh, historian and 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 uh, yeah and and but as a student who is in a certain position, I can I, I can I I I I want to share it with my own students, and and, and that's kind of lost my thread here. But that's the barriers, that. your other barriers. Yeah. If, uh, so one of my own barriers would be my own. Yeah. If, your uh, own position and. My country. own my 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 own position, but also my own lack of knowledge. Also, yes, okay. in many ways. Yes. Yeah. I'm yes, only 40 years old. I'm yeah. hoping I still have a lot of years left to.
1: <laughs> Before your brain starts my, to. My, my, my <laughs>
0: office is still packed with books that I don't have time to read, but yeah. I'm, I'm buying them and I'm collecting them and hopefully to read them yes. as soon as possible and, okay. and perfectionize myself.
1: Um, so, how do you. And this is more like a concluding question to kind of tie everything together. How do you see the future of academia regarding an anti-colonial curriculum and what hopes do you have for it?
0: Wow, how, how wild can I go? Uh. <laughs>
1: go all the way you want.
0: <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, there is this very interesting, it's uh, written in Dutch, um, article by Helene de Bukelaar, uh, who uh, wrote an article in The Correspondent about decolonization and the decolonization of institutions and why, why we should think about decolonization because it's not just something of the past, but it's something that, yes. that still has consequences of the way we think, of the way we act, of the way we are, our societies are organized today. So decolonization is a very radical political project and a, and a rad- very radical vision of the future And I'm not afraid to engage with that framework at all, because given the fact that we all kind of realize that we are in a moment of severe, deep crisis, whether it is in relation to migration, in relation to racism, in relation to the environment and climate change, in relation to poverty and inequality... um, so I think we need radical answers today. And there's a difference between radicalism and extremism. And extremism is is, is also a kind of answer to the kind of crisis we're yeah, in today. But excre- extremism is based on the exclusion of people in order to preserve what we have uh, or think we have. But it's a dead end, I think. And I'm, a, I'm pretty certain. So we need... in. In contrast to these extreme tendencies and reactions we see today, I and mean, we need to understand them and where they're coming from, and and not just put all these people away as idiots or monsters or whatever. I think there is there is there is a duty to understand where the discontent is coming from and where the the need for answers is coming from. But therefore, I, I think it's also a duty to look for radical solutions and radical. Answers and or a solution. There is a, there is a future in in, in, in these kind of perspectives. Um, and um, what Helene de Buckler then said in her article is that if we only think about decolo- decolonizing an institution, then we're not really decolonizing. A decolonization is a societal project. Yes. It's the As Hanon says uh, on page two of The Wretched of the Earth, (laughs) decolonization uh, sets to change the order of the world. Yes. And as we know, it's therefore an agenda of total disorder, which which means not chaos, but means that we need, if we want to change the order of the world, we need to struggle for it. Yes. And it will inevitably be a a clash between those who have the power and also who have the power to name.
1: What to we recognize, we,
0: yeah. Yeah, and, and have the power to tell a certain dominant version of history. And, 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 and counterpowers who are questioning that version of history and the structures that organize our society and think about different ways of structuring and different ways of telling stories. Yeah. And therefore, if we talk about the decolonization of the university, it's not a program that ends with the university itself is to think about how can we create a better university that is fit for the challenges we face as a society.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: That's, I think, the crucial part.
1: Yes. Beautiful. Thank you very much. The conversation with Professor kuhn has taught us that he puts his energy in finding the colonial perspectives for his curriculum that challenge the worldview of his students. Um, So just like Dr. Dennis, he presents his own positionality in his courses and emphasizes the scientific value of acknowledging that positionality. Also important in decolonizing the curriculum is to explicitly tie the explanation of the social world and its structures to the explanation of power inequality. Lastly, he sees an important role for students in the decolonization of the university as well as a wider society, and sees their positive influence today and in the future. We'd like to thank Professor Burkert for making time to come and chat with us, and we'd like to thank you for listening. Hopefully we taught you something or you got inspired, and we would love to see you back next time.